Welcome back to FlexCast. This time, my friends, Dr. Mari Ricker, Dr. Amber Rice, and I are having a conversation about negotiations. We're joined by Charlene Grabowski. Char is a retired vice president and general manager of GE Healthcare in the Western U.S. and Canada, and a business partner for Pathfinder Strategies, which focuses on executive leadership and coaching. She's also been an invited executive coach and guest lecturer at several academic medical centers across the country. So negotiations, I think this is a topic that a lot of us feel uncomfortable with for lots of reasons. So we'll talk about why we don't do it and go over some reasons about why we should. Not only are you negotiating for yourself, but you're doing it for people that depend on you, both in your personal life and your professional life. And you're also negotiating for people who are coming after you. We'll talk about how we're really doing this more than we think we are in our everyday lives. We don't see it as negotiations, but we do it with our families, our kids, our patients. You'll hear some lessons learned from Amber, Mari, and I, and get some great advice from Shar as well. So I hope this is helpful. I hope this conversation gives you some tools to go into your next negotiation feeling prepared and confident. Enjoy. All right, so today we're talking about negotiations and the articles that we're talking about and focusing our discussion on today, uh, we have two of them. The first one was published in the Journal of Oncology Practice with Principles and Tactics of Negotiation. And our second reading was actually authored by our guest, Shar. Um, so thanks for putting this together with your experience on negotiations. And um, let's just start off talking about what, um, what you guys thought about or what you think about with negotiations. I was just rereading the articles uh, before we recorded. And one of the things that struck me was um, in the oncology article, there were lots of tips toward the end. And I was recognizing how similar a lot of those tips were to how we learn as medical students and residents how to take care of patients, um, have curiosity, open-ended questions, be direct, look for nonverbal cues. And had, I had never really thought about negotiation skills in the same way that we think about patient care skills. Yeah, I agree. I found when they talked about negotiation, emotional intelligence, I think they called it in that article, I thought that was really um, a great way to frame it. And um, you talk about that, Char, in the, in the piece that you wrote, you know, how you go in um, with some self-awareness, you know, about what you want and what you're willing to walk away from and, and knowing that you want and I think this was in your reading, Shar, that you want to win, you want, you should want the other party to win, and you should want the whole institution or company to win, um, a win-win-win thing. And so, um, but knowing, you know, where you're coming from as far as your self-awareness, being able to read and empathize with who's across from you, um, and having that, that, um, that emotional intelligence, I think, was a really, a, a framing that I hadn't heard of before related to negotiations. Yeah, I, uh, I would suggest, I obviously I read both articles um, as well, and, and I don't mean to uh, downplay this or um, simplify it, but uh, he even says, Carver points out the most basic principles of negotiations were learned before kindergarten, be polite, be honest, be considerate. And when I think about you as physicians, as a patient, I know that 
I want my physician to be knowledgeable, understanding, but the thing that takes it over the top for me is that caring person, right? Somebody who shows me compassion, listens, and all of those emotional intelligence skills. So um, I thought that was important to point out because I think there's so much fear and myth around negotiations that that's why I, I wrote the sort of summary article for you to de mystetize if you will, take the myth away from negotiation. Yeah, when I was reading the articles, I, I mean, I think what struck me about one of them, at least the principles and tactics of negotiation article, um, they were both, I mean, it was mostly written by um, men. Most, mo many of the opinions in this article came from men. And so I wondered um, sort of how this was different um, if you weren't a man coming into a negotiation. Um, and found an, another article from the Harvard Business Review that talked a little bit about women in negotiation um, and the things that are, are challenging. And one of the things they mentioned is this, you know, desire for communality, for that we want to be helpful, we want to put the needs of others before ourselves. Um, and that for women, sometimes that this could be, could hold you back a little bit if you don't also advocate for yourself at the same time. So there's this balance between, and I'm sure this, this applies to everybody, but this balance between being nice and wanting to, for everyone to come out ahead and wanting everyone to be, to have everything be a win-win, um, but then also um, being reluctant to advocate for yourself enough um, to, to put yourself in a good position in a negotiation. So for me, that's where I felt like this first article kind of came up short a little bit is, was sort of how to get past that for people who have a difficult time in, in wanting to please everybody, but then you're trying to advocate for yourself at the same time. If I may offer there, um, that's my first point is you have to act like you deserve it. You have to feel like you deserve it. And I'll share an experience. I'm coaching another doctor, an accomplished woman, 38 years old, organ transplant expert, very highly regarded. And she has a contract that she's supposed to be paid on a timely basis. And she hasn't been. And the reason has been COVID. Um, so that COVID is taking a lot of, uh, giving people a lot of excuses. But a week or so ago, I got her prepared to go ask for her increase in salary and um, she got COVID. And so as a result of that, she couldn't do her patients. So she didn't feel like she could do it. And then as we're having a conversation and she said, you know, I'm probably going to go for IVF in January. So I don't feel like I can ask them then. And I was like, stop, just stop a minute. First of all, you have a contract. Second of all, you are amazing at what you do and the demand is very high for you. And these situations that have occurred could occur to anybody. And the fact that you're having a baby is a wonderful thing. So. I don't mean to digress too much, but I have to agree with you, Amber. It's like you have to feel like you deserve it. And in deserving it, you come with facts and data. 
why I deserve it. So mm -hmm. yeah, uh, women have a tendency to just let it go a little bit. And I teach the same skills or the same tactics to men and women, starting with you deserve it. I made me think of another theme that has come up in other conversations um, around myths, but thinking people will just pay me what I'm worth. They're just going to know that I'm valuable and they'll pay me. And I think, I don't know if this is um, unique to medicine, but we don't like to push and brag and be rude and ask for a lot more. We just expect that, you know, um, our accomplishments and our worth will just speak for itself. We won't have to do that for ourselves. Um, and I think negotiations really calls that calls that out and makes you stand up for yourself. Um, and I, I think that's one of the reasons this is so such an uncomfortable concept for us. I think this goes back to what a theme that we had talked about before where you get into medicine and we're, uh, we're not trained on how the business side of things very often. Um, and I fall into that category of people who when I was hired, I was given a contract and was told that nothing is really negotiable. This is just the standard contract of where you are. And, and this is the salary that everybody gets when they start. And the one article talked about um, candidates make the mistake of thinking that a job offer is just dictated. But really, all you have to do is just ask, is this negotiable, you know, and, and maybe your salary is not, but other things might be like moving costs or whatever, even like the rank that you're hired at um, for some people in, in an academic institution or something like that, or, or your time, which I actually think is a much bigger issue for our faculty is not necessarily money, but time and, and negotiating your workload so that you have time to pursue things that you're passionate about or that you're interested in or that can advance your career other than clinical time. And I recommend going into negotiation, just as you're saying, is have your criteria established and prioritize them. Um, when negotiating, I'm a big believer, go for salary because you can't take that away. And as you go for the next job, that becomes the benchmark by which you start negotiating. So defer to salary number one, but then what else is important to you as you just managed? I mentioned time off, vacation time, which is negotiable. Um, benefits, you know, um, if you have, a, if I'm negotiating or hiring somebody on board and I have a 25 year old I'm hiring, talking to them about benefits doesn't seem to matter, but as you age and you have children, benefits become a very big deal, making sort of there's fossil benefits and kids benefits. Um, sometimes it's equipment, you know, what kind of technology do I get to support and then in your world, I would say, um, you know, research and grant support and how much training teaching do I have to do? You know, what's the track to professorship? So all of those criteria should be what I call do the homework and understand what is, uh, what's the potential. If I may add one more point. Also, um, I have recommended to people that they might take a lower salary, but then look for what it would take in six months for them to get to the next level with some very well-defined um, criteria 
that will allow them the opportunity. So in a negotiation, even um, coming back in three months or six months or one year, you know, negotiation isn't all about, I went in hard line, it must be this. Nope, you've got to have a little variation and a, um, you know, uh, a few criteria that are also important to you as well. A couple other things I've been thinking about lately are not just your dedicated time, but the resources that you have. You mentioned technology, but I also think about administrative support. Are you going to have um, an assistant or someone to give you administrative support? Do you have a budget to do the work that you're being asked to do if it's in an administrative role? And so those are things that um, you know might not just appear on the surface, but put, could potentially give you back some of that precious time if you have someone else to help with tasks that, um, you know, once they're off your plate, that time is, is back in your, in your court. I also saw something in one of the articles that talked about uncoupling things or separating things out, that it doesn't all have to come as the package. And I really liked that, that visual of just of um, taking the things, taking it apart. And like you said, talking about each of those different aspects. Yeah, I think that that part struck me as even helpful for much smaller stakes negotiations, like not related to necessarily salary negotiation, but anything where you're working on a big project and breaking up tasks or you're, you know, framing everything is not the a sum of everything, but that there's individual components to everything and it can all be negotiated or discussed a little bit separately. Um, which I thought was helpful in, you know, maybe negotiating even smaller issues um, that might be more difficult to to conceptualize as a as one whole thing, but maybe easier to understand as smaller parts of a, a project or whatever. One of my favorite things in Char's article um, is something that's really hard for a lot of us, but that not speaking can be a strategy. And I really love that. And um, I was just thinking about an experience recently where I've been trying to recruit a speaker to a conference I'm planning. And they had gotten back to me with a price. And I had been waiting, delaying, should I ask for lower? Should I negotiate? And I waited a couple extra two extra days. And just before we started recording, I got an email with a lower number. So just waiting, they said, you know, we thought about it. We, we really want to come and help your organization. And, um, and it just really showed that I don't have to rush to close the deal. I don't have to rush to get this number and just that patience and sometimes silence can really be a tool. I'm so glad you brought that up. I was just going to say, we've been talking a little bit about the pre-work you know, reflecting on yourself, thinking about what your goals are, uncoupling the things that you want. But really, when you're in the moment, I find it's hard. You know, the first the um, oncology article talks about you know not not bringing emotions or something like that, and, and you know trying to separate your emotions from what you're actually trying to achieve. And then, as Mari said, Shar, when you said speak, not speaking is a strategy that I think is is tough. When I get nervous. You can probably tell on these podcasts, I, I start talking a lot more. And I think that's um, a hard thing to sit in the silence. And, and, um, and I think you said also, Shar, that often the, when you, the person who speaks first discloses a lot of, of stuff. Um, and so I think, uh, I don't know, Shar, if you want to expand on that a little bit. 
Yeah, so first of all, all about negotiation, I, I want you all to just pause a minute and think about how your day started and things you already had to negotiate. Like, Maury and I got on a little earlier. She had to walk around the house to see who was sitting in what chair doing school from what different location. And her daughter won because she said, Mom, I'm sitting here, <laughs> right? Um, you know, getting dressed this morning, you know, yes, my two-year-old, you have to wear pants today, you know, and again, I don't want to dumb this down in any way, shape, or form, but I want you guys, you know, folks to understand you're negotiating all day long with different things. So that self-awareness piece is really important. And when you're in a negotiation, the actual, actual negotiation, you also have to remember you have to ask for something, right? And I am a big, I like to play offense in negotiation and ask, and then I like to get silent. And in that silence, it shows confidence because I've already stated my case, probably with some evidence. It allows them to react. So you want to also give them some time to react and allow it, them to ponder what's being said. And it shows confidence when you hold back a little bit. And then what usually happens is a response of some kind. And that gives you the opportunity then to say, if they say no, it's a perfect opportunity to say, why not? And pause again. We call it a pregnant pause because it feels like nine months when it's like five seconds. So it's beneficial. And in all due respect, it gives the other person some time to allow them to think through um, what you've just asked for. One of the visuals, I guess, for lack of a better word, that of advice someone gave me once for getting over that, um, that deserving is thinking about not just yourself sitting in that chair of negotiations, but everyone who wants part of your energy and time in that chair as well, visualizing your family there, visualizing your kids, your dog, your parents, whomever you give your time to as a part of that negotiation, that you're not just negotiating for yourself, but it's for all of those people. Because if it's more or less time, more or less money, that means more or less of you that they get. And then also that visual of negotiating for all of the other people in this position or role that will come behind you. Like your negotiations will benefit people come after you. And I, I find those two really helpful to get to that I deserve place because you do deserve it, but some of us need a little more um, encouragement to get there. Yeah, I think that makes a ton of sense. And I think that it's a really helpful way to sort of combat some of the negative self-talk maybe um, that can prevent you from taking the risk to initiate a negotiation. So if you're the one that's going to initiate the negotiation, for me, I feel that there's, it feels like there's so much risk involved in that, that the risk of opening up that conversation seems too great. And then it's easier, um, kind of like Ali said er earlier today, it's easier just not to open that box at all because you feel like I'm just going to let it go. It is what it is. Like I, 
it's not going to get worse. Um, and so it's, it's for me, the hardest part is talking myself out of that negative talk of this is too risky. There's too much to lose in this. Um, they're going to think I'm greedy. They're going to think I'm, it's the negative self-talk, I think. And um, I, I think framing it and using some of those visualizations that Mari um, had just said would be a really helpful way and um, really trying to step past that a little bit and take the step. So I would hope none of you have ever done surgery without practice. I hope. Um, and it doesn't mean first time or 100th time, but you practice. And so I would encourage at, before going into a negotiation that you take a coach. And Mari, to your point, it's that person who's going to benefit from more time or more money. And I would run through the negotiation ahead of time. And so it's about purposeful practice. I'm purposely practicing this and scenario planning. And again, you do this as a doctor, somebody presents with three or four conditions and you run through scenarios in your head of what if, what if, what if, what if. This is a natural for you. And what I'm suggesting is you take those natural abilities that you've already acquired and apply them to the negotiation. So practice with me. I want to go through this. And the other person says, what if he says this? Or what if she says that? And so you've got three to five scenarios already in your pocket, which then gives you once again, the confidence to just keep going. So going into negotiation without a little practice, maybe a little bit like you trying to take a gallbladder out or something like that. I really like that idea, Shar. And I, I think touching on something Amber said earlier about all the smaller negotiations, using all of those opportunities to practice for the high stakes negotiation. Um, and whether it's someone asks you to do something and you don't say yes right away, you ask a curious question, you learn more about the opportunity, using each of those smaller negotiations as, as practice. I really like that. And especially those situations where you're most comfortable you know when i'm talking to a patient and you know in a conversation that requires some negotiation i'm very comfortable in that environment i feel authoritative i feel like i'm confident in those situations and and those are probably the times when it's helpful to to really pay attention to your your strategy and what it feels like in that moment when you're not feeling you know self-conscious and and you know, like you're taking a big risk. So there's a process that you're following. I, I would ask you to stay with that a minute. And why are you confident in that moment? Why do you feel like you're deserving? Why is that you know what to do in the next step? And there's a process that you follow. And I would ask you document your process because it's the same one, again, with sort of different terminology and things like that, that you will use. So you're confident because you're knowing. Well, as you go into the negotiation, you need to be knowing whatever that means, right? You're confident because you know you're gonna help that patient with the advice that you're going to give. When you go into the negotiation, you know you're gonna do a better thing for the company because 
you're going to get time to do research or you're going to do, you know, teach more fellows or whatever the case may be. So think about from a self-awareness perspective, why do I feel so good in that situation and how do I translate it into my other situation? It's a great example. And something you said at the end there, Shar, is, you know, you're, you bring value. Like your expertise in that situation, Amber, in the, in the ER room where they're asking you what to do, like you have this value to the patient. And I think that's that, that final obstacle of just recognizing that deserve it, that you have some, a lot of skills and a lot of things that you'll bring to the organization and continually reminding yourself of that. May I offer also that if you come out of a negotiation and you didn't get exactly what you want, one of the things you do want to get is respect, such that they know now who they're dealing with. They're dealing with a confident person who knows their value, who is going to come back again. And so respect is not a bad thing to, you know, solve for in terms of what you get from a negotiation. And if you didn't get it all, we mentioned this a little earlier, you have the opportunity to say, okay, what will it take for me to get it? And then you document that and say, okay, if I heard you correctly, I need to do X, Y, and Z and come back to you in six months. And then immediately I send a thank you note and say, thank you for the meeting today. I thought it was very you know, powerful, positive, whatever your words are. I understand if I do these three things, I can come back to you in six months and we will uh, once again talk about my salary and I will have an expectation that um, if I do these things, I will receive it. So think about closing the box also, right? But I, I want to emphasize the respect thing, because if you come out of that with them respecting you, next time you go in there, they're going to be prepared. They know you mean business. And then Shar, in your article at the end, you talk about the importance of debriefing. And I just wanted to touch on that a little bit and, and maybe gather from your experience what, what strategies for debriefing, debriefing work well um, and, and what you suggest to people that you've coached. Yeah. So I'll take it up a notch in terms of a, um, selling a piece of equipment, an MRI or 10 MRIs or whatever the case may be. First of all, I would never go into that negotiation without a few weeks of work ahead of time in terms of negotiating. Understanding the customer, the needs, the market, the patients, the who's got the volume, all of those kinds of things. We go in and we either win or we come back with a maybe. Usually I don't get a loss, so I'll just stop at those two. And um, you come back and say, okay, what did we hear? And having multiple ears and eyes on it gives you the opportunity. I heard it a little differently. So, you know, unless you're negotiating your salary, if there's an opportunity that there are two or three of you going in to get grant money or whatever the case may be, you have the opportunity to come back and say, what did you hear? What did you hear? What did you hear? Because you will hear stories, as you know, very, very differently. 
and then go back to the what if scenarios. Okay, what we heard, if we do the following three things, we can come back in a week and have the next conversation. I would also debrief on when you got the salary increase that you went in to get or the position and, I, and you win, I would come back and say, wow, first of all, I feel good. And without breaking your arm, pat yourself on the back or get someone else to do that. But um, what worked? You know, why did that work so effectively? Because guess what? In a year, you're going back there. Or in six months, you're now up for a promotion and you want to make sure that you take that same key, you know, that same really great strength with you to go to the next thing. So debriefing, again, you do it all the time. You just complete a surgery or the patient is cured or unfortunately the patient might not be cured. You're reassessing all of the time. I'm suggesting the same methodology is a good one to follow. May I ask you, like, what, what, is, what was one of the toughest things, you don't have to go into specific detail, but was, what was one of the toughest negotiations that you experienced and what was the outcome? Um, is there an example um, personally for yourself that that is often beneficial to others hearing you think about, yep, um, it worked, it didn't work. The didn't work is equally as important as the works. I'm going to pause so you can think a little bit. I think for me, a lesson learned with a difficult situation about negotiating time for me, um, I think I had to learn that it wasn't, it's not personal. You know, and, and it talks a little bit about that in one of the articles that you, you don't want to personalize things that in both directions, right? They're not attacking me personally, and I can't assign to this person a situation that I don't like or something like that. It's not, it's not, they don't own that potentially, you know, and, and I think for me, though, it became, you know, a policy or something that was in place that wasn't the most beneficial for me. It wasn't about me though. You know, I had to think about the, the, the department and the institution and things that were going on that, that sort of led to um, a change in a policy that impacted me, but it wasn't that my department head was targeting me specifically with that, with that, with that issue. And so I think um, that was just a lesson I learned going through the process, you know, that um, it feels personal because it's happening to you. But if you look at the bigger picture, it's much more than about any individual. Uh, and, and so that was just a perspective taking lesson that I learned. Ali, that's a really good point. Um, if you think about it, um, we often talk about win-win, but um, Mr. Mackey, John Mackey at Whole Foods calls it the win-win-win because your department head, you thought you were negotiating with, but actually you were negotiating with the company or with the hospital or with the department. And so you also have to know who you're negotiating with because that department head may not have the authority to give you what you want. So knowing that you might not be negotiating with the uh, person who's making the rules or setting the, the rates, 
So you have to think about a win, win, win. Is there somebody behind this that's um, influencing the decision? That's a great example. Thank you. I think of my most challenging negotiation was when I moved here from Oregon and I sort of made the cardinal mistake of not doing my research and not um, doing that background work. I didn't realize how significant the cost of living difference was between the two places. And so the information I went in with from for what I thought I was asking for, I'd got like just blindsided by the difference because I wasn't really prepared for that. So that I definitely learned from that. I needed to do a little bit more research and sort of mentally prepare myself for that. I did have someone try and coach me through asking for some more um, resources on that negotiation and I was not successful, but I did feel really, really proud of myself for trying. <laughs> and so I don't feel like it was a loss because I had never done anything like that before. I had never asked for um, more of anything from any jobs. And so I, even though I didn't really um, achieve a monetary goal, I was really proud of myself for, as Amber said, having that really uncomfortable, scary conversation. And now I feel like I could have it again now that I've been through, been through it once. So what did you learn, Laurie? What were kind of the three things you learned? From the uncomfortable conversation? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, the first thing was to just say it <laughs> and to not beat around. I had this long like backstory, just, just say what I was asking for and be clear. And I guess the second is what you said earlier is to put it out there and then pause and wait and that silence was really long and really hard to not scramble to fill with words. Um, and then I learned that I, I could do it. So, I mean, that, <laughs> those are the three things I took from it. I think that one time that I look back on that, looking back, I realized that I could have done better. Um, it wasn't a salary negotiation, but it was asking for more responsibility within our physician group. Um, being an early career faculty member and taking on a lot of work um, that wasn't necessarily um, responsibility or um, wasn't sort of moving me up the ladder, so to speak, um, but I was working very hard and I felt like I deserved some other opportunities. Um, and so asking for that um, and I think when the initial answer was, it was kind of a, a no, uh, I, I did take it very personally. And I, I remember how upset it made me feel that, that I'd been doing all this work and yet it didn't seem like it was appreciated. And it wasn't until going back after when I wish I would have just said, you know, could you explain to me why not? I wish I would have said that instead of getting upset and sort of emotional about it because really the the answer was you know what i feel like you've been working so hard lately that i didn't want to put anything else on your plate so it was someone trying to look out for me and be nice but i took it as just very negatively and i, I think looking back if i would have clarified and asked a few more questions to get to the real answer um, i might have had the opportunity to say 
well, you know, this, this is how I feel about it. And this is what I would like to do with my career and, and move forward in a more productive way. And, you know, eventually getting there, but in a very roundabout kind of messy way that I think looking back, I, I definitely, I could have done it differently. I'll offer at this point, a little unconscious bias also that happens in a situation like that, that somebody was making a judgment for you. And that happens a lot. And I, I will tell you, it happens a lot with women in that wonderful men think they're looking out for you. And so you, you know, you have babies, so you can't do X, Y, or Z. So be aware also that sometimes, I'll call it unconsciously, there is probably some conscious, but that little unconscious bias will allow them to make some decisions for you where you have to stand up for yourself and say, I'm capable of making those decisions for myself. Thank you very much. So be aware that in your negotiations, your critical point you said was, anytime anybody says to you, no, the answer is why not? And at, tell your 13 year old daughter, no, and see what the response is. <laughs> crying see what else why not mom they are the best negotiators as teenagers <laughs> and the stakes get higher and higher and higher well i really appreciate the opportunity to be with you today you you folks are amazing and um mari's my doctor and i just love her so i'm so happy to do this but um you know, if I could summarize three points that I think you all made today. Um, first of all, you do this practice all day. As trained physicians, you're negotiating with your patients all day long. So be in the moment and be aware of what you're doing and use those practices. The second is take the step. You deserve it. You deserve it, and you need to come with your own facts in your mind to understand why. And then I would say learn from the experience. Celebrate it. Whether you won, uh, you can't see me with my air quotes, but won, or if you didn't get exactly what you wanted, why not? So those would be the three points that I would say if I could leave you with today think about those things, but the most important one is you deserve it. So thank you so much for the opportunity to be here. Thank you, Shar, for being here. This was a really great discussion. And thanks, Amber and Mari, as always. Uh, it's been a couple episodes since we've done a flex fun moment, um, but this is a great opportunity um, because Shar is um, very involved with the flex, flex one moment that we want to talk about. So uh, Shar, do you want to talk about the El Tour de Tucson? I would love to. So I had the opportunity a year ago to come in and turn the El Tour business around. And last year in uh, 2019, we had an amazing event in November. It would have happened this past weekend. It didn't. So we have postponed it to April 10th. 2020. We also expect to have another one in November of 2021. Help me with that, guys. I gave you the wrong dates. April 2021 and then November. So remember April 10th 
you know, cycling, at least by yourself, seems to be a safe activity these days for lots of reasons. So if you can get out on your bike or walk, walking is a great thing as well, but get out and enjoy the wonderful weather that we have right now and see you in April at El Tour de Tucson. Great. Thanks, everybody. See you next time. Thank you. Bye. Thanks. Bye. -bye.